I'm so fascinated by people who create companies based on a need in their own life. Our next guest really just invented Evergreen Fresh because of a need she found for her future family and little kids to feed them more healthy. And today she's running this frozen waffle empire that is healthy for you, makes your life a little bit better in the morning when your kids are off the rails, and really solves a nutrition problem for all young families. I hope you'll enjoy hearing Emily Grodin talk about Evergreen Fresh. I'm so excited to talk about your business and all the successes you're having. Um, I'm very fascinated uh, how you picked what you picked, um, waffles, and I also am super jealous because my kids aren't young and I'm not feeding them waffles every day. <laughs> I didn't know, so is that still a thing people feed their kids every day, waffles? At both of my daughters had waffles this morning. And they actually also had waffles for dessert last night. So yes, <laughs> it is an everyday occurrence oh, at our house. Okay. Maybe sometimes multiple times a day. Oh, yeah. wow, you love it. Well, you were destined to start a waffle company I, then. Who knew? Uh -huh. I mean, if you had asked me, I graduated from law school in 2015. And if you told me then that, you know, fast forward eight years that I'd be making waffles for my career, I would have laughed at you for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it was unexpected to say the least. No, I love your story and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. And I do think it's interesting. I've been recently both interviewed and met a ton of lawyers and I've come to realize that um, you are the dominant brains in the world. Um, <laughs> and so I'm sure you can figure anything out, but it, it is a pretty big leap um, going from, you know, probably a, a, a very cerebral um, kind of a job to what in in businesses it's a lot of tactics all day long mm -hmm. um plus strategy plus people plus money plus all the things so as you sit here uh a couple of years into a very successful uh journey what do you think are the the tailwinds that you have going for the company right now great question um i mean i i think that i think that i happen to you know land on a product at a moment where there was a real need for it um and what it's kind of what's nice about starting a company that comes from a genuine, authentic need, right? Like I didn't sit around trying to come up with ideas of companies to start. I never intended to be an entrepreneur. I'm an accidental entrepreneur. Um, but truly, I mean, the, the way I got the idea was I heard a podcast driving home from work one night and it happened to be talking about the frozen waffle category, which is super random, but, um, you know, the long and the short of it was that egos were still such a dominant force in the category. And I was pregnant with my first daughter, who's now four and three quarters, she'll tell you. Um, but it just made me pause and think, you know, I'm a working mom. I'm going to need to feed her something like a frozen waffle. I don't want it to be an ego. What else is out there? And for whatever reason, I just decided to start doing a little research in the grocery store frozen aisle and realized that even the better for you waffles really weren't all that much better for you than an Eggo when you flipped around the package and actually looked at the ingredients. And I just wasn't willing to settle for that. Um, and so I bought a mini waffle iron from Amazon and the rest is history. 
Such a good story. I mean, I love when people solve problems that are, you know, uh, not so obvious, but obvious. So you've now already, you know, gone through your initial years, you've changed manufacturers, you've come out with more products. What would you say, like of all the things, to, and hired people, and I know you've just added a bunch of people, what do you think every day when you get up is the part that you absolutely dread doing <laughs> of your job? Because <laughs> I think it's real. Yeah. <laughs> we all have that part. And then what's the part that you just know you're in your sweet spot and you're in your lane? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this last night because I was reviewing, we are about to launch a new product. We debuted the line at Expo West, which was the big uh, trade show in California every year for um, consumer packaged goods, but it's frozen uh, waffle breakfast sandwiches. So we have four skews, um, chicken sausage, egg and cheese, turkey bacon, actually we just switched to regular bacon, bacon, egg and cheese, spinach, egg and cheese, and egg and cheese. But I was sent the artwork, the flats for the um, packaging and had to do the final review. And I was sitting there. It took me so long to even open the files. I procrastinated and did about 10 other things first um, because that to me is really painful. It's funny, I, I, you know, the law, practicing law is so detail oriented and so tedious, kind of like reviewing a final yeah. set of artwork for packaging. Um, and it's that's my least favorite thing to do. Anything super tedious, super detail oriented. Um, I think I'm fairly good at it. That's what I was trained to do, but it just, um, it's not so fun to me. It, it's, you know, it makes me nervous that I'm gonna miss something. What I love to do now is kind of step back and the kind of big picture strategy. Um, I love, you know, or we just started working with a branding agency to um, do a rebrand, um, really do a, you know, deep dive and try to figure out like, who are we? What is our personality as a brand? How do we create a community around our brand? And so we're going through all those questions, you know, sitting back and having discussions and thinking and, and talking about that kind of thing. I love um, thinking about new products. I love, um, you know, I love doing sales pitches, talking to retailers. I, I actually really love talking to potential investors and telling our story. Um, I love doing this, talking to people about about the product, about the company, um, about where we came from, where we're going. So, so yeah, it's you know, it also just goes to show like I probably should never have been a lawyer if, <laughs> if the things I dislike the most are are the things you you know you the skill sets you need for the law. Um, but I, I like being you know just talking with people, being out in front, um, out out from behind my computer. Oh, that's awesome. So you have gotten some pretty impressive customers that I imagine are pretty hard to get into as a small company, maybe because you're not proven enough or because they worry about having enough product if it starts selling. What do you think was the real make or break for how you got into Whole Foods? It's funny, it, um, in some ways it was a lot easier to get into Whole Foods than I thought. It required, I applied in um, September of 2019 to be a local vendor. Uh, so Whole Foods has a local vendor program. Um, they have this whole team of local scavengers around the country whose whole job it is is to find smaller local brands to bring into their stores. Um, and it's an and it's an incredible entree into the retail world if you can if you can get the gig. Um, but they also do a really great job kind of holding the brand's hands once they're in stores and kind of teaching them about what it's like to be on a retail shelf. 
Um, so I applied to that program and, um, you know, they asked me to submit samples. I submitted samples and within a few weeks they said, you're accepted. How many stores do you want to launch in? And you could launch in, you know, you could choose one store. You could choose, you know, I chose, I was like, how many stores are in Illinois? And they said 28. And I said, sure, sounds good. And then I had to figure out how to manufacture that many waffles pretty quickly. Um, but I have found, and this I'm sure it's consistent with your experience as an entrepreneur, so much progress happens if you're just willing to write the email or make the phone call, pick up the phone, ask the question, send the LinkedIn message. You never know, you know, what response you're going to get, if you're going to get a response at all, but there's nothing to lose in, in putting yourself out there. Yeah, I really liked when I heard you speak, I really liked that um, a lot of the successes, including your recent raise, was you kind of pinging investors and, and actively looking for them versus them finding you. And that's a huge, a great reminder for people listening and, and a great reminder just to me that I think a lot of the things that I've made happen so mm -hmm. to speak or just simply reaching out mm -hmm. and um i think everyone no matter who you are and what level you are and how many people are calling you loves having opportunities presented to them mm -hmm. yeah and I'll, I'll go one step further and say that a lot of the opportunities i've had were no's at first the first time i reached yeah. out so it's not just reaching out and getting in yeah. front of somebody it's then following up um, right. because a no is never a no. It's just a not right now. Yeah. Um, but so many retailers said no the first time. This isn't the right time. And, uh, you know, a past version of myself maybe would have, you know, walked away with my head down thinking, oh, it's never going to happen. But if you just ask again a few months later, the answer might be totally different. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so much of my life and career path has come from, a cold email um, or a phone call, as you said. I mean, I to, to go back several steps, I started at a big law firm and then my first pivot was to work in-house at Alinea and that whole job opportunity came from a cold email. Um, but yes, to your point, I mean, no investors coming and knocking on my doors. <laughs> That's not true, I've had a few. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, all of my current investors, I, I reached out to. Okay, so I want to segue to um, the money raised just because uh, I know that's part of your journey and certainly something lots of startups at some point go through. What was it that, you know, made you decide that you needed to go out for a money raise? Well, I needed money. <laughs> um, yeah, uh -huh. I had, uh, no, I had um, for the first three years of the business had, uh, you know, bootstrapped it uh, myself and uh, that took us quite a ways, but got to a point where um, A, I didn't you know, wanna use my family's money anymore, um, but B, I knew that we had this real opportunity to grow pretty quickly and that it was gonna require um, you know, more funds than we could provide. The thing about um, our industry is it's really expensive in the beginning and companies really aren't expected to break even until you're making you know, maybe 10 million in revenue. Um, and so- Wait, wait, go back to that. So really, you like consumer packaged companies typically don't make money if their sales are sub 10 million? It's, it's, it's a really expensive industry. Obviously, that's gonna vary a little bit depending on what your product is. Frozen happens to be really expensive. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's um, 
there's a lot of investment up front. Um, you know, we often partner with third-party manufacturers. That's expensive. Um, retailers require a lot of promotions. You know, whenever you see a product on sale at a store, it's the brand that the is brand. funding yeah. that sale. Um, there's a you know capital investments, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. Uh, distributor networks. You know, mm. um, most of the retailers require you work with a distributor who. Obviously, that's another cut along another the way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so you are not you know expected to make money for years in this industry. So at a certain point, um, fundraising just kind of makes sense. Okay, so that that makes sense. Um, do most people start these businesses with the end in mind? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, you know, for me, it has been helpful to have a goal uh it's informed you know knowing that i wanted to you know i want to grow quickly and then hopefully be able to sell this company one day i'm not shy about that um and so that helped inform my decision to raise money right because there is a to be clear i should i should step back you can um you know there are some brands that are profitable much earlier than 10 million dollars but they're growing a lot more slowly Right. Um, you know, they might have a goal of growing over 20 years instead of five to seven. Um, and so knowing that I wanted to be able to hopefully sell the company one day in five to seven years informed my decision to, to raise okay. outside funds. All right. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, and so your goal is to grow to a point where you're attractive to a strategic or somebody in your field to roll up under yeah. their umbrella. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, our mission as a brand is to revolutionize how families eat, starting with the most important meal of the day. And for me, you know, I um, feel very proud of the reach that we've obtained so far. And I know we have, I mean, we're just scratching the surface. Um, we'll reach a lot more families in the next five to seven years. But, um, you know, plugging into a strategic distribution network, uh, you are within reach of so many more households at that point. So, um uh, you know, it's both a nice personal outcome, but also it would help us achieve our mission. Oh, it's also important. And I, I've had lots of people ask me why I sold my first business. And I, I, I just wanted people to hear, you know, you put your family's wealth at risk mm-hmm. for three years for this passion. I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Presuming you aren't taking a salary, you know, people don't understand. I still haven't taken a salary. Okay, right. There's no yeah. big money pot right. while you're right. growing these things. Right. And sometimes the only way to um, to kind of get paid back for the work, if, if that part of the equation, is to have a liquidity event. Right. And right. I, I think people don't understand, you know, it looks very sexy, you're in all these publications, you're, you know, on a lot of important shelves, but they don't understand the economics behind it that you're, like, juggling all the things. (laughs) Also, just, like, the implications on your lifestyle like i uh my husband this morning was like you need to sleep more and it's true i you know i i give my whole being to this company i also have two young kids um and so i um i'm somebody who doesn't do really anything halfway um and so a i don't think it's sustainable forever um but b i you know i i i tell myself and I and I do believe this is true that my two little girls are watching and that this is you know a life lesson 
for them and they'll hopefully grow up one day and realizing, you know, I can build something. If I want to build something, I can, you know, if I start one, down one career path and I don't like it, I can change and I can do something totally different. Um, actually, one, I was at my daughter's school, my four and a half year old, four and three quarters uh, year old school yesterday because they were celebrating summer birthdays and she has a summer birthday and one of her little friends a five-year-old turned to me and she said i really love your waffles and i said thank you so much and she said i think it's really cool you sell your waffles to stores and i was like that is so cool yeah. like this that's is what i'm going for this is what i'm going for yeah. um and so but but yeah i mean i would like to have a little more time with my kids at some point too yeah. you know yeah. um i'm pushing really 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 hard now and um i do carve out uh, time for them and that's really important I think that's what keeps me from burning out from the hard work um, but yeah it would be nice to, to you know in a handful of years be able to spend more time with them so how do you get from here to a sale what has to happen a lot <laughs> there's a, a lot of ways to go is it, um, is it sales is it more products is it certain customers do you know what all the triggers are that would make you that optimal yeah, candidate there, there's not one path not one equation um it um you know varies by product by year by macro environment you know uh certainly more sales um but the thing about retail that or cpg that a lot of people don't realize is it's not all about how many stores you're in um you have to turn off the shelf it's called velocity um well in order to be successful so if a strategic looked at you and you were in 10,000 stores but you your velocities are really low you're not selling off the shelf you're not going to be an attractive likely you're not going to be an attractive target to them similarly with investors it's velocity is king is what we say in the industry so it's you have to be careful and balance expanding your retail presence mm -hmm. with making sure that you are in retailers where you your velocities are going to be strong enough and um, and or that you are throwing the marketing support behind the retailer to make sure people are walking into the store to find your product. So it's a it's a balancing act for sure. Um, so uh, you know it's so it's, it's it's it will be expanding our retail presence, but making sure that we our velocities are there that we're moving off the shelf. Um, so that's throwing marketing support behind. Um, behind our retail partners um yeah there are certain gold star retailers you know there are different philosophies in sales in cpg this is getting into kind of the nerdy weeds of the cpg world but you know there's a, one school of thought that's you know you really saturate the natural channel so that's like the whole foods and the sprouts and um of the world first and then you move on to the conventional channel which is more like the Marianos and the jewels of the world. And then you move on to club stores, so like Costco, and then you move on to, you know, big box, so like Target and Walmart. Um, there's kind of a slightly newer school of thought that says you don't need to go necessarily in that order. You can kind of spread your eggs across multiple baskets, which helps, um, you know, from a risk perspective, yeah. uh, having working with multiple distributors instead of just the natural distributors right out of the gate. Um, can be a good thing. Um, but also, if you can be successful in, say, a Whole Foods and a Walmart, then there's no better argument that you've hit the nail on the yeah, head in expand. terms of product market fit. Yeah. 
So I, now you're going into breakfast sandwiches, which, as I would think, um, is a lot more complicated of a distribution path versus the the mix mm -hmm. that sits on a shelf. Is it complicated for both um, production, the mm -hmm. making of it, and getting it to the stores? Because you now have refrigerators and all right. of those things. Well, so our waffles are frozen. So we're already in the frozen space. So the waffles are toaster waffles. Um, so so the, we've got our cold chain figured out. Typically, to if any company had a waffle and a frozen waffle breakfast sandwich, um, that would likely be two different manufacturers because um, you know your big waffle makers aren't typically working with like sausage and egg and cheese. Um, we, our manufacturing partner, can do both, which is amazing. Mm. So it really simplifies things. Um, so the same manufacturer makes them. Our manufacturer is USDA, you know, certified, which is required to, um, to make anything with, you know, egg, chicken, whatnot. Um, and then we've already got our cold chain figured out. So it's actually, um, kind of a you know, it's different. It's, we're yeah. introducing, or we had to, uh, you know, bulk up our supply chain a little bit. We added new suppliers for, um, the cheese yeah. and the chicken yeah. and the bacon, um, and the spinach, but other than that, we've kind of just seamless. been able to plug it into pre-existing networks. Okay. So tell me about these recent hires. Um, I think there was somebody, VP of Marketing. Um, what did you hope to accomplish bringing on such a presence in, in marketing yeah. uh, relatively soon? Yeah. As I was saying with CPG, you really, if you're going to really push on sales and build sales, you need to have the marketing to back it up because also, if your velocities are not there when you launch at a retailer, some of these retailers give you six months to prove yourself, okay. and then we'll kick you off the shelf if you're not performing. Add on top of that, that often, this goes back to the break-even <laughs> comment earlier, um, most retailers require what are called free fills when you launch with them, which means you have to give a free, sometimes a case, sometimes two cases of product for every flavor, for every skew, for every store that you're launching in. So do that math. I mean, I've had, free fills can be hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of free product that you're giving to a store. Then if you're not performing in six months, you get kicked off, but you just gave them hundreds <laughs> of thousands of dollars of free product. So thus, it's really important that your velocities are there. So. I knew if I was going to hire a really great sales guy that I needed to hire a guy because he's a guy. I needed to hire a really great marketing gal. <laughs> she is a gal. Um, and so those are my first two hires. So the um, kind of higher level goal was to surround myself with people who knew what they were doing, um, who'd done this before, been there, done that, because I was a lawyer and I've never done this. Yeah. Um, and so I hired a uh, chief sales officer who's been in the industry for 30 years. Um, you know, he grew up, he, he likes to say, napping on crates in the back of the grocery store because his dad was a grocer. He knows the industry inside and out. Um, and so, uh, and he has worked with some really great brands um, that you've probably heard of in the past 15 years when he's been on the brand side doing sales. Um, so he's my sales hire. My marketing hire is a two-time founder herself. Um, she had a, a protein bar that was a national distribution, you know, both at Whole Foods, also a distribution at Walmart. Um, and then her second company was a, a D2C coffee concentrate company. So they've both been in the industry for, I mean, a combined 
almost 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so A, I can learn from them. B, I don't uh, necessarily need to micromanage them. Um, And they uh, work really well together. They have a bunch of connections within the industry. Um, So they've been two amazing hires and have Frankly, they both joined in February and just have totally transformed the business. So, you know, from here to, let's just say in five years you sell. Besides sales, um, you know, will you have to raise more money and dilute again? Um, Or is it a goal to not? Um, Because I'm just always fascinated by, you know, that soon you'll have a track or you have a track record, you know, are you sure there's not another way to go get this money? Right. (laughs) I'm always like, don't dilute. Like, you know, lever up. there's a pro and a con because you mm-hmm. can lever up your castle and then you could be without a castle. Like, I get it. Yeah. But it's also like if you get on a path and you've got the right people around you and you're pretty sure you're going to sell, um, is it worth a little bit more risk to get right. a way bigger reward? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, I never say never. I will, I'll, I'll explore every avenue when the time comes. If we do need to raise more money, I, I would love not to. Um, and we actually, Part of what I'm really focused on right now, I, like I said, we're doing this branding exercise. Um, we're also um, looking at ways to uh, make our manufacturing process more efficient yeah. through, it's still a very manual process, so is, are there things we can automate to bring down our cogs yeah, cog, yeah. um, to increase our margin, which yeah. will obviously assume, lead yeah, to help. break yeah. even sooner than later yeah. and maybe um, negate the need for any additional fundraising. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there there are many avenues to explore. Are you the head of finance? Are you the one who does the financial? Um, I We just brought on a fractional CFO okay. who helps. Okay. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, you know, the goal um, of, so it, our fundraise, like I said, we've talked about, we hired a few folks, but we're also spending some of that money on this um, kind of branding exercise as well as working with a consulting firm to go through the you know cogs exercise as well the goal is if we can kind of button all that up now then we need to we'll need to spend less cash going forward because if we really nail the brand right if we if we can succeed and it's so hard and so few brands really do it but if we can can succeed in being a brand that people want to be a part of that community and are going into stores looking for us as opposed to needing to drive sales by going on sale exactly then we'll burn less cash going forward um so i'm that we're really trying to kind of hone in dial everything in now um in the hopes that it makes scaling easier and less expensive yeah that's cool i like that um because i think people just like forget that I mean, by no means is it easy to raise money, but I think you successfully did it when the odds are way against women doing it. You really, I was really impressed with like, you know, that you got through that. It sounded relatively seamlessly. I mean, there's a million stories where people didn't feel seamless at all times, but you you got through it and and a lot of people don't. So now you're at the the table and you got the money and it's kind of like great breathing room. And I think then people sort of like take a little pause and like okay we can spend money now but the reality is the faster you like clamp it down like yeah no no we can breathe yeah <laughs> now let's really clamp it down and spend every dollar like it's someone else's because it is yeah so that we don't ever have to do that again right that's just really um important just a good business if you can do yeah. it yeah exactly we're, we're trying to build a good business not just throw 
cash at people to keep and, our... and grow sales. It's really sexy in today's world to grow your company. You know, there's lots of tech companies and startup companies that grow sales. Yeah. And they're just like, our sales are good. Our sales are good. Yeah. And you say, well, what are your earnings? And they're like, oh, we're gonna they're gonna catch up. Yeah. But really, only company. Unless you're something super specialized, I don't think most waffle companies are going to sell for a boatload of non-multiples if there's no earnings. You know, right. like we're not doing anything. Yeah. So that earnings. used to be the case, um, but in the last three or so years, it's really shifted to a focus on, as I said, being profitable. Once you're hit 10 yeah. million in revenue, your EBITDA, etc. Yeah, because the whole landscape of acquisitions has changed yeah. and money is expensive. So your practice of looking at, okay, what do we have? How do we get more out of less? Whether it's, you know, margin improvement because we can manufacture bigger size orders or different manufacturers or, you know, you buying packaging because you have staffing. I think that exercise, you know, we always were self-funded, so we were really cautious the flip side is we might have been able to grow more quickly right. if we could have had right. a VP of, yeah. you know, anything. <laughs> yeah. So there is a flip side to it, but um, I think when you have the, when you know the pedals down and you know that you are on a trajectory, I think that's really great to invest then. Yeah. Well, that, ex exactly. I'm really glad we certainly grew slower over the last three years being bootstrapped than yeah. we could would have, have otherwise. But I'm really glad for a few reasons. One, it taught me how to be conservative mm -hmm. and only spend dollars on what we should be spending dollars on. So it just taught me good business sense. Yep. Um, but two, we weren't ready to, like we were still figuring things out with the product and figuring things out with the packaging. We weren't ready for the big stage yet until now. Um, and, and you know, that's relative. Like we're, yeah. we've been in Whole Foods and whatnot, but, but to really expand into a national presence, I don't think we were ready to do it before now. And so I'm glad we weren't tempted by having fundraised um, to do that. And like I said, even now we're, we're dialing things in. Like we're, I think I'm proud of how we are using the funds, right? To make a couple really good hires um, who I hope and envision to be with the company for, you know, a, a long time. Um, but also just to dial everything in um, so that we can grow smartly. A lot of times people are entrepreneurs because they love um, autonomy. Mm -hmm. And um, I know it's like one of my top buzzwords. And when you have outside funding, you give up a little bit of that autonomy. How's mm -hmm. your job specifically changed or your day to day or month to month having people have oversight on, on your company? Not a ton yet. Um, I you know, was, I, I love all of my investors. Um, and I think they have a respect for me and what we're building. And so they have given me kind of space and it's been more like, how can we help you? Um, kind of thing. I, I think, you know, you hear horror stories about investors. Um, fortunately I haven't experienced any of that yet, but it just, you know, you have to be careful who you choose, uh, to bring yeah. into your family. Cause it really kind of is a family, um, to who to bring into your family. And so that, you know, I've, 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 there are certain investors, I, I can't tell you how many hours I spent on the phone with them before it was a mutual decision to move forward, you know, um, and, and met in person and all that. It's really important to make sure that yeah. those investors are going to be good partners. But for me, I was also just excited to bring on investors. Like I said, um, with my hires, I was hiring people who had a ton of experience. Like I wanted to bring on investors who had experience and could be helpful. I would say one of, um, 
kind of my strong suits, uh, uh, if you will, of a, being a founder is that like I'm very open to learning from people around me. I recognize I haven't done this before. Um, and so I'm happy to bring people into the fold who have experience and who I can learn from. Yeah, you're such a good leader in that way. I think you, um, I mean, you just seem very open to gathering all the information. It could be your just general, um, you know, I think that's where um, your past training of being a lawyer is really going to help you. That you're, you know, an active learner, and that is by definition what lawyers do. I think um, you kind of don't take no for an answer, mm -hmm. and I think that's another thing <laughs> lawyers don't do very well. So I do, I actually see it as like it was the perfect training for being an entrepreneur um, and reading all that boring stuff. I mean, probably no lawyer likes that, but yeah. it's just part of the job. Yeah. Um, it's also very helpful, honestly, on a day to day basis. I can't tell you how many contracts I read myself, but it's so nice to just be able to read them quickly yeah. and sign them and move on instead of having to send them to a law firm, which might take like a week to turn it around. It enables us to be really nimble. Yeah. I also know what I'm signing up for yeah. every time I sign a contract, which just brings comfort. A hundred percent. And it would yeah. be a big expense that you're avoiding. Right. So and, yeah, and it's, a, expense, it's a real skill set. Yeah. Absolutely. Courtney, I actually have a couple questions for you. Uh, having built a business before, when you know, I hired just recently for the first time. We have a really small team. Something I constantly struggle with is, you know, if we added more team members, we could be more productive and we could move faster. Obviously added team members come with added expense, added management, kind of how did you balance building your team? Um, how quickly did you do it? How did you decide when to bring on your next teammates? Yeah, it's a really good question, Emily. I think, you know, fixed cost hiring, like employees, is something that I'm pretty careful about. Mm. I think the first, and maybe that's wrong, but we've always been able to meet our goals um, by going, um, I'd say I'm probably like slightly underwater when we bring people on mm -hmm. versus proactive hiring. And yeah. it's two different philosophies. Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing you could do um, and I'm sure you have this in place, and if not, easy to do, is to really get clear on what does success look like for those roles um, at three, six, and 12 months. So, you know, having a marketing person. Um, I don't know what needle you're trying to move. Is it, you know, free coupons in the retailers, social media presence, events? Um, how, well, how do you define that community and what's their role in making that happen. Mm -hmm. um, so the best hiring I have made is when, A, I, a lot of times I've done just like you. I don't know as much about what they're doing as they do. Mm -hmm. I'm not teaching them about marketing or sales or whatever. They've done it before, they're bringing it to our company. So the part that I do know a lot about is like, what does success look like and what doesn't it? So you almost pre-negotiate the the end, so to speak. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't start with thinking people are leaving, but I also don't like having coaching every day, all day. I don't have time to like say, well, course correct, course correct. It's like, right. here's what that looks like. So metrics is um, for sure some, you know, your friend. The other thing that has really helped us decide when to bring on people is our revenue per employee. Um, so we look at um, a trailing 12 on what the revenue per employee is, mm. and then we forecast forward based on the hires we're going to need, how, how much sales we will need to bring on XYZ mm. new staff. So right. I think those are two things that um, have helped us gut check, is it the right time? Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. 
And I have hired, you know, in the time of COVID or, you know, post COVID. And so we're all remote. Yeah. Um, it's also my first time having a team. Okay. How do you think about building an internal culture? We've talked a lot about building a community around the brand, yeah. but there's yeah. also got to be a community, you know, internally within the brand. How do you think about doing that? How do you do that in the world of remote work? Yeah. Well, um, I personally am not a big fan of remote. Um, mm. I've been on a lot of press talking about that. And here's why, because you just hit it on the head. I think that, you know, you have these people doing whatever job, but the real secret sauce and, and productivity as it's going to be measured is them doing their job plus 10% because they're engaged in the mission. Mm -hmm. They're not doing their job. They're doing all the extra thinking in the shower, talking to their friends at the, the stands while they're with their kids, you know, mm -hmm. about the company. So that's the real measurement of productivity. So how do you do that? Well, they've got to know exactly like where you're going, what's in your brain, have time with you, you spend time learning what you stand for, what you don't stand for. And I just found that so much of that can be lost if it's not, you know, face to face. And I think there's sure. some things you can do in between Zoom and things, but we all are inundated with so much noise. I mean, at the end of the day, the emails, the suppliers, the, you know, their home life. Yeah. You know, they're at home. Yeah. And so their home life is working for you too. Yeah. So I think maybe in a, in a fully remote world, I would suggest really having some rituals like weekly at the very outset yeah. and then definitely monthly where you try to get that team together and build that bond. I think that will be no matter how much is that meal costs you or that room sure. to rent you will it will pay you back in spades you know for us we're manufacturing so we can't we I just just chose that since the manufacturing team couldn't work from home because they didn't have the equipment mm -hmm. that it also wasn't right that mm -hmm. the office team be as flexible because we all like to work at home you know you can do your laundry and cook your dinner right. and but now flip that as the boss and I'm like okay they're doing their laundry picking up their kids and which yeah. I understand is nice but there's some lost value there. So I would just think about really working on the culture and the rituals, like start small because, you know, it's great to be like, we're going to be together every week, but mm -hmm. it's just not practical mm -hmm. in something where you can build that connection. So they're thinking about your company like morning, noon and night, yep. which is how it'll grow as fast as you want it to. Great advice. Thank you. Well, we wish you um, only good things uh, for Evergreen and um, hope that uh, the next launch is going to be as successful as the waffles and then we Thank can't you. wait to hear what's next after that. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.